Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hazen. I am your host. And what you're listening to is a bonus segment for our last episode. Uh, in our last episode, we talked with Matthew Wilson and Shelley Hutchinson. They were two state house uh, candidates who are Democrats who received the endorsement of former President Barack Obama. Um, I had a great conversation with Shelley Hutchinson, and we played part of it in our last show. But this is the full recording of that conversation. We got into a lot of different issues, covered a lot of ground with Shelley in her quest for House District 107. Um, so I wanted to share that entire interview with you here, but give it to you in a se- separate segment. Um, so here I am. Here's my conversation with Shelley Hutchinson, a candidate for State House. All right, so we're now joined by Shelley Hutchinson. She's the Democratic candidate for House District 107. Uh, Shelley, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Um, so your campaign made some news last week when you were a part of a small group of Georgia politicians who received the endorsement of former President Barack Obama. Um, so could you just give us your reaction to receiving the president's endorsement? Um, shocking, first of all. Um, I was not expecting it. In fact, I was on vacation with my family. And when I woke up, my husband said, congratulations on your endorsement from the president. I was like, um, what are you talking about? He said, well, you you posted about it last night. I said, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. And come to find out my um, campaign manager found out and posted it, but didn't tell me. <laughs> and um, my, so my husband was like, yeah, you just got endorsed by the president. I was like, well, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I was not expecting it. I um, I didn't apply for it. Um, lots of people have asked, you know, how did how did you do it? I want to do the same thing. I didn't do I didn't do anything, actually. Um, I was involved in his um, administration. But I think the reason why I got the endorsement um, was he said that he's going to be involved in the uh, local House district races to try to reverse some of the gerrymandering. So he endorsed um, the top two most flippable districts in Georgia. So regardless of what I've done in the past um, in his campaign, I, I honestly think that's that's how that came about. So let's talk a little bit about why the president might have endorsed you. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your background, what what you were doing before you decided to run for office and, and what made you jump into this race? So I am a clinical social worker. Um, I've always been involved in the community. I've always been involved in politics, not uh, in local politics as much as I was in like the presidential campaigns, which I still feel guilty about. but. I would get every time I would vote and see so many people running uncontested, um, I felt like I needed to do something. And every time that happened, I would write my name in. I refused to vote for someone who was not contested. So after the 2016 election, I was just as dumbfounded as everyone else. And I started to think more about it and talk, talk to people who I knew were in politics and could give me some direction and if they thought I would be a good candidate. And I sat on, uh, I still sit on a board with um, state representative Spencer Fry. And I asked him to meet with me and we sat down and we talked about it. He thought I'd make a good candidate. He said, well, I'm going to go back and look and see see what the numbers look like in House District 107. 
And he called me that night. He said that House District 107 was one of the top most flippable districts in Georgia. And I believe it's the second most flippable district in Georgia. Hillary won our district by um, almost 12 points. And no one was stepping up. Um, so I talked to everyone. I knew I actually knew Stacey Abrams from meeting her at an event at UGA. And um, I met with her before she left um, the state house. And I talked to her about, you know, if she thought I'd make a good candidate. And she was kind of my last hurdle. If she gave me her blessings, I thought, you know, maybe I'd have a chance at this. And she did. And she um, put me in touch with people so that I can do training and and everything just kind of rolled off from there. Um, so on your website, you've uh, sort of organized your message around four pillars, investing, involving, informing and including. Um, can you describe describe that message for us? Well, investing, um, there's a lot, lots of ways I think that we can invest in Georgia citizens. I think one of the biggest investments that I think we can make right now is expanding Medicaid. Um, I'm a clinical social worker. I own a outpatient mental health clinic. We serve um, um, roughly 11 counties. And I work with uh, the kids that we work with are not usually, you know, kids with minor chronic depression. We work with the kids who are the most worrisome children that we have in Georgia, um, the ones who have been arrested before age 10. Those children are covered. We try to get them covered by Medicaid because Medicaid will cover the most treatment than any private insurance. Um, and we're talking about kids who have the potential to um, harm themselves or other people. So when those kids don't have Medicaid, we're talking about a safety issue for everyone. We're talking about, you know, you can be, this could be your neighbor's child. You'll never know. This is not necessarily a family who comes from a poor part of town or a, a rough neighborhood. This, this can be a child that is, is born with um, a chemical imbalance that creates the types of behaviors that brings us, brings them to our attention. And without Medicaid, we really can't treat those kids the way we need to. Even with the Medicaid that they have now, some of the most severely ill children don't get the, the, the help that they need, like the children who are setting fires and, and killing animals and have no empathy, which is sort of the triad for um, a predictor for more serious crimes as an adult. We... And, uh, and this is statewide, not even necessarily Georgia. Um, this, is this is around the country. There isn't a really good treatment that people can invest in. There is treatment, but it's very expensive. And the only way that anyone will be able to cover it is through Medicaid. And we're the concerted effort with other states and other authorities. Um, and it, it, it really can only be done that way. And um, as a contrast... I had one child who was covered by Cigna and she was, a, she was very violent. This child was 16. She was um, close to six feet tall, about 280 pounds. She lived with her mother and grandmother and she was just very violent to her grandmother and her mother. And she had been hospitalized five times in six months, but Cigna would not cover anything other than a three day stay 
in a crisis stabilization unit. It wasn't until the sixth time that she was hospitalized and she punched her psychiatrist that Cigna uh, approved a seven-day stay versus a three-day stay. Now, if this if this was a child covered by Medicaid, a long-term stay in the hospital is, is determined 30 days at a time versus seven. And this is a child that would have needed that needed way more than seven days in a hospital. Because at that age um, and with her history, there's going to be a very specific mix of medication that takes a long time to determine, um, not to mention family therapy and things of those na- of that nature. But private insurance just does not cover it, um, and they're not going to cover it anytime soon. The other, another investment that we very clearly need to make is in our education system. My daughter just graduated from... Um, a public school in Gwinnett County, and I am going to take her to uh, move into her dorm in Scotland next month because they invest way more money overseas in their secondary education um, program system than we do. Their citizens, their children graduate from college without any debt. So the international rate to go overseas to college is much less than the in-state rate for public school, public universities in Georgia. Luckily, and some some countries are actually free for for U.S. citizens or any international student to go to college in their countries. If we made that type of investment in our kids, they don't have to worry about whether or not they're going to pay tuition or eat or pay tuition or pay rent at the same time and live in their cars, because that happens at UGA. Their programs to feed UGA students because they can't afford food. We have homeless UGA students, but we can go in, to other countries and go free. So that's another investment that we can make in, in Georgia. Um, early education, if we start our kids early, um, even earlier than pre-K, they'll come out um, in the long run, ahead of, well, much higher than we are now as far as rankings go for countries um, and where their students are graduating after college. So I think we have um, lots to invest with. Include is another one. I think that um, one of the bills that really bothered me last year was the attempt to ban uh, same-sex couples from adopting. I've worked with children who are in foster care and who have been adopted my entire career. And there is a website called My Turn Now, and anyone can Google My Turn Now. Um, it is a list of the kids who are available for adoption in Georgia, and it's set up almost identical to the animal control website that we go to if we're if we want to adopt a pet. There's the picture of the child, there's a description of the child, and we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of kids who need homes. And just if you take the same sex part out of it, the fact that anyone would exclude an entire group of people as a resource to these kids is just unconscionable. Not to mention the statistics for same sex couples adopting the uh, rel- the um, the statistics for confirmed child abuse in those homes are lower than almost any other population. So there's no reason other than spite, hate, or whatever you want to call it, 
um, to exclude that population from from adopting immigration. Um, the house bills that that uh, keep ICE in Georgia, that uh, we're spending so much money and so much effort for hateful, spiteful legislation that we can be putting to our energy towards things that will help and not separate families. Um, one of my staff was a dreamer. He was picked up by ICE. And he was legal. He was in this country legally. He and his sister were detained for more than 30 days because of a mistake that ICE made. By the time they got out, she lost her scholarship. He lost his job. These are things we don't need in Georgia. This is we're bringing our country down. I mean, our, our, we're bringing our country down. We're bringing our state down. So we need to we need to be more inclusive and stop picking and choosing which culture, which race, which sexuality, gender, whatever is most uh, desirable to us. Because, you know, the bottom line is there's really hardly anyone other than American Indians that are not immigrants in this country. I was trying to think which pillar I ended on. Uh, I, start I think to- you hit in, investing, including um, informing. It, we have to be more um, transparent and we have to um, educate families about what's available to them. Um, it's I, it, like I said, I work in the community. We do um, mental health. A lot of our services are done in the community. And a lot of times families just don't know uh, anything about um, the electorate. They don't know anything about how to vote. They don't know how to advocate for their kids. They don't know how to advocate for themselves. They don't know if they don't speak English that there's um, programs to learn how to speak English. And on the flip side, we, you know, we have our population of Spanish-speaking people are growing immensely. I think that we should be educated on how to speak Spanish. I've been trying to speak Spanish for years now. I'm totally clueless. And I am in awe of little kids who can who are bilingual at the age of six. Um, I think we can educate ourselves about each other. I have an African American son. My my white friends don't didn't really understand the talk that I had to give my son who just turned 15 and got a driver's license. The talk that I had to give him about when and if he's pulled over by a police officer and how he has to act and how it's different for him. But luckily I have a phenomenal group of friends who listen and understand and are open to hearing this and um, empathize with what my family experiences. So I think an open dialogue about um, just who we are, what we are, you know, any culture. Um, You have, you know, an Italian culture versus a, you know, Scottish culture. we have to be able to talk about these things without being offended and be able to listen and turn that into an educational moment for you and for your kids. Because the only way our kids will know to welcome people into their lives, into their state, into their hearts is if us, if we as parents model that. Involve is another one. Um, it, and it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, I am still amazed at people who don't feel it necessary to vote. I've always voted for everything, even if it's just, you know, splossed uh, the, the 
penny tax on to you know make sidewalks. I vote for everything. So to meet a person who's never voted before, still it, it shocks me. To meet someone who's never voted before and they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s shocks me. And to educate those people about how their involvement um, is important, particularly in races that, um, political races that decide how we vote and for who and who is in power, um, like drawing district lines. And some of these races are decided by a handful of votes or the race that was decided by a coin cost, um, that your vote actually really does count and we really need to hear from you. Because if we don't hear from you, we don't know what you're, you know, I feel like I understand my community because I've done work in, in, in my community. I've lived in my community for more than 20 years. And my job brings me into people's homes. So I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of what my community needs or wants. I don't pretend to know everything because I don't. I'm always learning. I'm learning about the people who, the, the struggles that people have, not only the struggles, but the joy, um, the, the, the things that make people happy. I, you'd be surprised that I'm surprised. I'm constantly surprised by the things that make people happy. Just really small acts of kindness that make a big difference in people's lives. So to be involved with your community, to know your community that way, and to want to know the people in your community is important. And that's so. Those are kind of the things that that I am um, I'm running on the pillars that I'm running on, and hopefully that'll resonate. So, so one issue we haven't touched on yet is the issue of transportation. Uh, recently, the Gwinnett County Commission decided uh, to hold a referendum on having the county join MARTA, uh, but they delayed that vote until mm-hmm. March instead of holding it in the midterm election in November. Um, so what was your view of that decision by the Gwinnett County Commission? And what's your view on what should be done on transportation broadly in the region? Broadly in the region, we don't have transportation in Gwinnett County, um, not to speak of. We have um, Gwinnett County Transit right now. My husband uses it when he, has, when he has to go downtown, which is not very often, and it's $6 one way. And it's a beautiful bus. It's air conditioned. He falls asleep on it. I mean, it's, it's, it's gorgeous, but it's not realistic for most people. I live where, where my house is. I have four grocery stores that are walking distance from my house, but I can't walk there because our streets are, are more like, it's, it's more like a racetrack than it is a street through a residential neighborhood. One day I was walk, trying to walk my dog and my dog would not, when we got to the busy part of the street, he wouldn't go any further. My dog sensed how dangerous it was to walk down the streets of Gwinnett County. Transit has to be overhauled top to bottom. Even if it's not, even if it's, we're talking about MARTA, buses, bikes, walking, we have no real transit system in Gwinnett. Unless you have a car, you can't get around in Gwinnett County. The decision to wait to put it on a a vote in March, I think was irresponsible. Um, It's going to cost us more as taxpayers to do it that way. Um, It seems as though um, that decision was made because they know that in March, that's not a time where most people vote. So it's only going to be, if 
if we hold a vote in March, that's only going to capture a small part of Gwinnett County. Probably people who, you know, are retired and you know, they're the only ones who even knew it was a something to vote on. It seems from this end of everything that it was politically motivated. And I do know that there's a meeting coming up and they're still going to try and persuade them to change their minds. But just even from a, a business perspective, to have to hold an, a whole a whole new vote that's very costly is just it just seems irresponsible. I, I don't I don't see um, a good reason not to have it in November. Um, so you mentioned that you had a career in social services and child welfare. The there's been some changes recently at DFACS. Uh, the former director Bobby Cagle left the state to take a take another job, and the agency is about to be on its second interim director in two years. Yes. Given, given your your expertise on this issue and your background, do you think uh, that the DFACS is doing a good job, or or what kinds of changes do you think um, may be necessary at that agency? Well, I'll tell you this, um, DFACS. The, the mission of DFACS is an impossible job. There's no way DFACS can keep every child safe in any state, in any situation. The kind of the turnover of, D, of the DFACS caseworkers, number one, is their biggest issue. Being wholly underfunded is another issue. I think that the changing of administration is just another issue that they have to deal with. And usually, it's been my experience that whoever is at the top of defects, they make it, it's almost as, it's almost like they, um, they manage based on their background and personality. So I'm not sure um, the person who's coming in, I'm not sure what their background is as far as what, when they're, when there's an, an attorney at the top of defects, the legalities of everything and, and risk management becomes more important. I don't know the last time we've had a social worker at the top of defects, but Usually they come in with a new set of, I'm going to do things, everything different. We're going to change all these things. So we wind up going through waves. Usually what happens is you get somebody at the head of defects that says, we have too many kids in foster care, send everybody home. And when that trickles down to caseworkers, children are going home into unsafe situations. And then there'll be a, a big, highly publicized story that defects is in the middle of. And the whoever's the head of defects at that time will be moved and another person will come in and then they'll say, kids aren't safe as we need them to be. We need to take up more, put more kids in, in defects custody. So at this point in history, we have more kids in defects custody than ever. Um, we have Bobby Cagle and then we had uh, Ginger, Ginger Pryor. I was really excited about Ginger. I was hate, I hated to see her leave. So we'll see. Uh, we, I think we just have to wait and see. Um, it's just another layer on top of a system that's almost impossible to, to manage. In the perfect world, to manage defects the way it needs to be managed, um, it's, it takes a whole lot more funding so that the people that you're hiring are the best, most qualified people to do the job. That's the best that you can do. And we're so far away from that, that um, changes in administration at this point, unfortunately, is not the root of the problem. So I'm hopeful that the next person that steps in is going to do a great job. Unfortunately, I can't pinpoint and say that that's why 
um, DFACS has the issues they have. Personally, I think training, funding, resources, it's just things that are missing that would make the difference. So you're a part of a historical slate of women candidates running for office. Uh, many women have been motivated by the results of the 2016 election, the, the rhetoric coming out of Washington. Um, can you just talk a little bit about what uh, this moment means to you running as a woman in, in this environment? Um, I'm, act- I, I'm, of course, very excited. Um, I think that when... I think a woman, when you have a woman manager, it's very different from when you have a man managing. As an example, I remember going to um, Costa Rica several years ago, and there was a woman president. And we were taking a, a horseback ride through a, um, through a forest, and there was the low-hanging branch. And the, the tour guide said, make sure you watch this branch. It's low. You're going to have to duck. And I said, well, you know, if you take people through this, this area, why don't you just touch the branch? And they said, well, we have a woman president and she will not let you touch anything that has to do with nature. I think that women come in with a different perspective. I think they come in with different priorities. Um, I think for me, one of the main reasons I'm running is my children. And not that men don't care about their kids, but that's, usually when they're managing, that's not the number one thing on their plate. And I think for women, uh, for, for me, and this isn't every woman, but I know for me and for a lot of other women who are mothers, when you have your children as, as, the, as your first priority, you're going to legislate differently. There's no, I would imagine there would be less women who would be in favor of separating families at the border. Because it, it, that's an unimaginable thing that a mother can do, can think of, or to even support a country do. So I'm hoping that all the women that are running are going to bring a fresh new perspective that we've needed for so long. Um, I think that um, I think pr- President Obama came in with that with a fresh and new perspective. I don't think he was given the opportunity to build out on it. I don't think he was given the opportunity to um, legislate like he wanted to, to see all of his vision come to fruition. So hopefully with the, with the historic number of women running, we can come together with a, um, a like perspective and get some real change and, and hope for the country overall. Um, and we've covered a good bit of ground, but there, are there any other issues that you'd like to touch on before we go? I think uh, the one, one of the reasons, and we've talked about it a little bit, um, in House District 107, one, of the, uh, one reason why I ran was a few years ago, there was a young man who, um, he was being arrested by the police, and he was face down and handcuffed. And looking in one direction, when a police officer was filmed coming in another direction, the boy wasn't even looking in his direction. He just ran in and kicked him in the head. This happens walking distance from my house. And like I said, I have a son who's turning 15. And this is a huge motivator for me to run. That boy could have just as easily been my son. My son's never been in trouble. He cries when he... I. When I punish him, he'll probably kill me for saying that. But um, he's, I cannot imagine that is a, a constant worry for me. And that should not 
be the case. I should not, that should not be a constant worry for me or any other parent. Um, and I think that that incident alone has motivated me more than people think. And I have to applaud the Gwinnett County Police because they did fire those two police officers immediately, and that's what they should have done. Um, just, but just the fact that this was this, I think that was 2016, or shortly thereafter that that happened. But that is a that's that's something that no mother, no parent, no family should have to worry about or deal with. So that incident by itself has really motivated me more than more than people probably think. Well, Shelly, we really appreciate you coming on the show and, and, and sharing your insights. Um, if people would like to learn more about your campaign and, and support your campaign, how could they do that? They could. Uh, the best way is to email me, Shelly at Shelly for Georgia, F-O-R, Georgia, spelled out, dot com, or go to the website, www.shellyfor.com. Georgia spelled out dot com and um, I respond pretty quickly. All right. Well, thanks for coming on and best of luck on the campaign trail. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all. Oh, 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 oh,